Loving Heavenly Father, help us to do just that this evening. Help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Whether we've never really thought about Jesus before, would you help us to see more of him this evening? Whatever we bring with us this evening, whether we are weary from a day in the sun, whether we are preoccupied with the busyness of life or the struggles and the sufferings, would your spirit help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus this evening? Would you speak through your words? And might we hear your voice this evening, we pray. Amen. Please take your seats. Seven herbs for spices. One big secret. Kentucky Fried Chicken, better known to you and me as KFC, has been making amazing fried chicken ever since 1952. And ever since, people have been trying to work out the secret ingredients that make their fried chicken finger-licking good. It's said that it's stored in a locked vault in KFC's Louisiana headquarters in America, where there is a copy of the original recipe signed by Colonel Sanders himself, along with 11 vials, each one containing one of the 11 herbs and spices. And in order to maintain the secrecy of this recipe, KFC employs two different firms to make their spice mix, are giving each company only half of the recipe each before they bring them together to combine them and make the finished products. All we know is that there are seven herbs and four spices. KFC are okay with us knowing that much. In fact, they tease us with that knowledge by only following 11 people on Twitter, four Spice Girls and seven people called Herb or Herbert. But the complete recipe, the key to their success, well, it remains a tightly guarded secret. What is their secret? What, what is the secret to their success? Whether it's a secret fried chicken recipe, the secret to a great skincare routine, or the secret to a happy relationship, it's a question that we all ask, or, or at the very least, that we all find ourselves thinking a lot of the time. What are they doing that I'm not that means their kids are delightful, whilst mine are... How do they balance such a demanding job and a degree and still have the time and the energy for a busy social life? What is their secret? What do they know that I don't? It can be so easy to import this language, this mentality into the Christian life. Why are they so much more spiritual than I am? How have they managed to grow in godliness so much more quickly whilst I'm still struggling with the same old sins that I've been struggling with the past decade? What's their secret? What, what are they doing that means they are so joyful all of the time whilst I just cannot help but focus on all the disappointments? Why are they so good at talking to their friends and their family about Jesus while I just make it sound like I've joined some kind of weird cult? What do they know that I just don't? Now, obviously, growing in godliness or joy or getting better, to, getting better at talking to people about Jesus, these are all good things, good desires. 
But the danger is that that good desire leads us to jump on the back of the latest spiritual fad or trend, uh, to look for some kind of spiritual supplement that looks captivating to begin with, but we realise further down the road it only ever led to being taken captive by false teaching. The scary but reassuring thing that we're going to see in this book of Colossians, a, a book written in the first century AD to a very young church, is that this isn't new. Ever since people first heard about Jesus and first received the good news of the gospel, they've been tempted to look for some kind of secret spiritual success formula to supercharge their faith with no shortage of slimy salesmen ready to capitalize. And yet as we make our way through this incredible letter, we're going to see the Apostle Paul writing to reassure this church in Colossae that if they know Jesus... They have all they need to be saved, all they need to grow and everything that they need to see the good news spread to those around them because Jesus is enough. My prayer for this series is that we will come away each week knowing just that, that Jesus is enough. Nothing less than Jesus, but nothing more than him either. You want to be saved to know God as your friend and as your father, rather than your enemy, Jesus is enough. Uh, You've already become a Christian. You want to know how to grow. Jesus is enough. You want to make progress in the battle against sin. You want to be better at enduring suffering. You want to see more people come to know and put their trust in Jesus. Brilliant. Know that Jesus is enough. The book of Colossians is going to show us that if we want any of these good things, there's not a silver bullet or or a secret source that will bring about spiritual success. Instead, we're going to see the Apostle Paul tell us that Jesus is enough. That we don't ever graduate beyond Jesus, that we should never add to or subtract from Jesus. But instead, the heart of the book, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Jesus is enough. Two points this evening. Do keep that book of Colossians open in front of you. The verses won't be appearing on screen. Uh, Two points this evening. One is Paul praising God for the Colossians and the other is Paul praying to God for the Colossians. Point one, I, that's Paul, praise God that you have the real gospel. If you wander into Beeston High Street on a Saturday morning, then there is a strong chance that you will find myself and my wife Ruth wandering around the charity shops looking for a good bargain. And what gives me that Saturday morning adrenaline rush, more than even a good cup of coffee at Cartwheel, is finding a piece of clothing, some shoes, a board game, that if you bought from the retailer, it would have cost a small fortune, but you find it for a fraction of the price. The only difficulty, particularly when it comes to clothing, is that there are lots of cheap knockoffs. What initially looks like the real deal turns out to be some kind of cheap fake. 
And when it comes to clothing, well, let's, let's be honest, the stakes are pretty low for the consumer. T-shirt's a T-shirt at the end of the day. But what about when someone spends their life savings on a visa that turned out to be fake when they got to the border? What about when someone receives a call from the bank asking for their details and it turns out it was never the bank at all? There are loads of situations where it really matters that we have the real thing and not a cheap fake. This was the worry for the Colossians. They'd received this gospel that Jesus, uh, that had spoken of Jesus, this good news. But they were wondering to themselves, have we really received the real thing? Or have we missed out on something? Like they needed to know. It was an important question. Were they really saved? Or was this gospel really worth committing their life to? They'd never seen Jesus. We'll see, surely, they'd never even met Paul either. Uh, so how could they know? Uh, how could they be sure? Did they need something else, something more even? Look with me again at what Paul writes in verses 1 to 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you, from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Grace, peace, thanksgiving notice just how warm and encouraging these opening verses are having briefly introduced himself and timothy in verse one paul spends most of his time saying how thankful to god he is for the colossians verse three we always thank god for you why paul's saying because even though we've never met you we have heard of your faith in jesus and we've been told of how that faith in Jesus has translated into a love for all of God's people. And where has this faith in Jesus come from? Where has this deep love for all of God's people come from? Uh, have the Colossians just mustered it up themselves, being the lovely, nice people that they are? No, verse 5, the faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up, spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He's reassuring the Colossians that they have received the real, genuine gospel, the real gospel that brings the genuine hope of heaven. The reason that they can be reassured that they have the real thing and not some cheap knockoff is because this real gospel hope has already borne fruit in their lives. It has worked within them. It's given them a deep faith in Jesus and a deep love for those around them. You don't need something different or something extra, Paul's saying, because the true message of the gospel is Jesus is enough. You have that gospel. I can see it at work within you, is what Paul is saying. And I know for myself, I need other people to help me see the fruit that God is working in my life. Because very often, I can't see it myself. 
My personality means that I regularly focus on where I am struggling and I'm in need of further improvement. Rather than taking a step back and praising God for where he has been at work in my life to make me more like Christ. I don't know if you're the same, but but something that has really helped me in this has, has been joining a prayer quad. All that means, uh, it's nothing particularly weird, is four of us guys from Cornerstone who decided to meet up once a month to chat honestly together, to pray for one another, usually meeting at, at a pub. And what has been so helpful for me is that I can come into that regular fixture in my diary and say, guys, I, I've struggled this month. I'm really struggling to read my Bible. I'm really struggling with these sins. I, I'm really, I'm just struggling generally. And they can say, yeah, maybe you have, David. But Jesus still loves you. Isn't it wonderful that your status before God doesn't depend on what you've struggled to do this week? It is dependent on what Jesus has already done for you. And you know what? Be encouraged, actually, because maybe you've been struggling in this area of your life. But be encouraged that in this area of your life, Jesus has begun to shape you more into his likeness. So let's praise God for that and ask that he might help you to make the progress in that area of your life that he's seen and worked in that. Let's make sure that we are a church that challenges and sharpens one another, that holds gospel doctrine, what we believe, tightly. But let's make sure that our church culture remains one where we encourage one another in person where we send that encouraging text message to someone about their progress in the faith, of how we are thankful to God for them, and where more than anything we pray and praise God for the work that he is doing in the lives of those in our church family, because that is an attractive way to do church. If what Paul has said so far wasn't enough to reassure the Colossians that the gospel they'd received was the real deal, he continues reassuring them in verses 6 to 8. Look with me. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruits and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. It's not just you, Paul is saying in verse 7. This same gospel that you have received, it is sending shockwaves throughout the rest of the world. As people come to know Jesus, as they hear and understand the kindness and the grace that God wants to show them, as they see the hope that is stored up for them in heaven in this true message of the gospel, they too are responding in faith and love. And verse 8, you can be confident that you have received the gospel from a reliable source. You heard the gospel from Epaphras, right? We know Epaphras. He works with us. He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. He gave you the same message that we are going around giving everyone else. In fact, he's the one who has told us how well you've been doing. These first eight verses of Colossians are filled with Paul praising God for the Colossians, praising God that they have received the real gospel and praising God that the gospel has already begun to transform their lives. 
Paul wants the Colossians back then and you and me today to be reassured that the gospel we have received is Jesus's gospel, a gospel of power that brings about change and not some cheap knockoff. Jesus's gospel is enough. So why doesn't Paul wrap up there? If the Colossians have Jesus' genuine gospel, Jesus' gospel's all they need, just end the letter there, Paul. Paul could finish with a warm closing sentence after verse 8 and save the limited scrolls that he had for something else, someone else. You and me could sing our closing song now, head home after a warm day for an early night. And yet he continues in verse 9. Point two, I pray that you would know this real gospel more fully. The central message to Colossians is that Jesus is enough. He is all we need. His gospel, the good news that he has brought us, is all that we need. We don't move on from him. We can't add to what he's done. We can't subtract from his gospel. But we can grow in faith by putting deeper roots down into him. We can appreciate what he has done for us more fully And we can let the power of the gospel transform our lives. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 again. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so having praised God in our opening verses that the Colossians have received the real gospel. After reassuring them that the gospel they have received is the real deal. Paul now moves to prayer. And he prays that they might know this real gospel more fully. Look down with me at verse 9 to 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. A few weeks ago now, I cooked for a couple of our interns who will be starting with us next year. And although they were very polite about my cooking, and though they still live to tell the tale, which genuinely was my main objective that evening, uh, an accurate description of my cooking is that I cook to survive and not thrive. And I never quite know why that is, uh, because I make my shopping list, I buy all the right ingredients from the recipe, I then follow that recipe to the letter, and I still only ever manage to produce bland, average-tasting food. It was once helpfully pointed out to me that if we read verse 9 to 12 of Colossians chapter 1 carefully, it reads more like a recipe than it does a shopping list. In verse 9, Paul says that since he and Timothy heard about how well the Colossians were doing, they have not stopped praying for them. But, But they aren't praying for a shopping list of different things for the Colossians. Notice that they are praying for one thing in verse 9 the knowledge of God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that 
we might please God in every way, which looks like all the other things that are mentioned in verse 10 to 12. A recipe, not a shopping list. So what is the knowledge of God's will that Paul prays for? Uh, Jamie Child, a minister in London, once pointed out that we hear that phrase, the knowledge of God's will, and we immediately suffer from a case of spot yourself in the photo syndrome. Uh, You know when there's maybe a school photo or a big photograph that you know you're in somewhere, what's the first thing that you do? You look for yourself, don't you? Uh, We all do it. But when Paul writes that the Colossians would know the knowledge of God's will, he doesn't mean that they would know specifically what God wants them to have for breakfast in the morning or that they would know his individual will as a light shines for every decision that they make in their lives. No, Paul is working to a much bigger scale. When Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, He is praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's great big salvation plan to reconcile all things under Christ that we'll see in our verses next week. He's praying that they might know the big picture, that they might see things not from their own limited perspective, but from God's perspective. And as the Colossians, or you and me for that matter, become more filled with the knowledge of God's will to bring all things under Jesus as the Spirit helps us to understand and believe God's gospel plan of salvation more deeply in our hearts, as we see God's big master plan for the universe, well then, of course, that's going to help us to bring our lives into line with his will, one small decision at a time. Like a sat-nav, when we know our journey's final destination where things are going to end up, it it helps us to navigate through one small direction at a time. Paul prays that we would be more filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we would become those who grow in knowing how to live lives worthy of God, pleasing him in every way, in every decision. So that verse 10, we would be those who bear fruit in every good work, grow in the knowledge of God's, who are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience and so that we would be those who are more thankful to the Father for all that he has done for us, that we might be those who grow in demonstrating those things in every small decision of our lives. Paul isn't praying that we would receive some new knowledge or some secret knowledge. He doesn't pray that we would receive a secret word from the Lord. Instead, he prays that we would know the gospel message that we already have more fully, more deeply. That the Spirit would help us to know God's will for the world, revealed to us in the gospel more deeply, so that we might be those who are more fruitful for him, who grow in endurance and patience, that we would be overflowing with thankfulness for all that our Heavenly Father has done for us. Can we finish there? What has our Father done for us if we're believing in Jesus tonight? Our passage finishes beautifully in verse 12 to 14. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
If your trust is in Jesus this evening, you can give joyful thanks to the Father because you have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. Yes, it may well have been the team that you used to play for, but Jesus has brought you across from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Not on a loan deal, but on a permanent transfer. Freehold, not leasehold. In him, if you are trusting in him this evening, you are redeemed and forgiven. You are bought, not borrowed. Why? Because you scrubbed yourself up, qualified yourself, did enough to get into God's good books? No, but because God the Father in his kindness, his love and his grace has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Even if you have lived in such a way that makes you think you are disqualified. The knowledge of God's will is that all who put their trust in Christ might be those who are rescued, redeemed and forgiven and who live in the joy of that knowledge that we might not be those who continue to worry and stress about whether we have done enough or are enough in and of ourselves, but that we might be those who simply rest in the knowledge that our place in God's kingdom is secure because we have received God's powerful, life-changing gospel that says, Jesus is enough. Why don't we close in prayer? Father, for those of us this evening who know that the way we have lived this week makes it look like we are still belonging to the dominion of darkness, would you help us to know that the reason we have been transferred to the kingdom of the Son that you love is not because we have done enough or are good enough, but it's because Jesus is enough. That where our faith in him has been small and weak this week, where we have struggled to fix our eyes on him and turn our eyes upon him. Thank you that you take faith the size of a mustard seed. And that because our faith is in Jesus, that is enough. Help us to be those who are reassured by that news. Who know that Jesus is enough. We pray this in his name. Amen.